In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. May his blessings and mercy dwell upon us from now and forevermore. Amen. Well, tonight um, we are up to uh, week five, believe it or not. We've already had four sessions, and tonight is the fifth session on this practical spirituality series. Um, I have learned so much just even preparing from um, notes from this book, and I do urge you to get this book, Practical Spirituality by Father Athanasius Iskander. Um, it's got so much beautiful uh, spiritual material in it. You'll uh, thoroughly enjoy it. And today we're going to be talking about presumptuous sins, presumptuous sins. And just as an introduction, I want to share with you a beautiful uh, verse in Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verse 13. David the prophet prays and says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. So what are these presumptuous sins? They are actually the hidden sins. We've spoken about many uh, sins and we've seen how the fathers relate to treating those sins. But tonight we're going to be looking at how the fathers actually treat those unseen or hidden sins. They are sins that can be veiled with an outward righteousness so they are not perceived as sins. They can also be actual virtues that the person has and practices but it could be in a way that is not pleasing to God or is not according to God's will. And sometimes these sins are actually called right-hand sins. This terminology is used by the fathers because they are sins that are, um, that are masqueraded, if you like, as virtues. So they might look as virtues, but in actual fact they could be not according to what God wants. Well, let's have a look at these uh, presumptuous sins or examples of presumptuous sins. Amongst um, those sins that are presumptuous is self-reliance. Self-reliance. And this seems a bit strange because we're, in a, we're in, living in a world where you're taught to rely on yourself and to push yourself to be able to um, you know, do everything yourself and so forth. But what do I mean by reliance or self-reliance? You might hear a sermon, for example. You might feel that it's peace to your heart. You might desire... Uh, on the inside to grow in this life of righteousness but it has to be done in a proper way so you might become very zealous you might start to fast a lot you might start to pray a lot you might start to read your bible a lot and you feel, feel almost this great energy that's within you um, and it could be mistaken for your own work rather than the grace of god okay and that could be quite dangerous because if we're doing something um, from our own being then it could become for self-glory and that is dangerous but the only safe way to really guard this is for you and your confession father for him to guide you along what you are doing with regards to your spiritual program so the solution is that if you don't want it to be a, a self-reliance issue that you discuss this with your confession father and most likely your confession father will give you a modest program for readings and prayers and fasting. But I want you to understand something very important. That in orthodoxy we don't believe in shooting up the ladder all at once. We believe that slowly but surely is the safest way. So it's better to get there on a slow scale to get there safely, safely 
rather than make a big jump and then find that you're actually back to square one or even worse than square one. So I want you to understand that a regular, consistent and modest program can be far more better than these bouts of temporary spirituality. Consistency makes a huge difference. And it's likened to what one of the fathers said. He said, if you look at the waves crashing against the rock on a seafront, that rock with time diminishes because there's a consistency of that wave hitting against it. If it just hits just the once, it will have no effect on the rock. And it's the same with our lives and our spiritual life. That that consistency in spirituality can move that heart to actually become much more softer, to be changed into a soft heart, a heart that loves God and wants to continue to live with God. So be careful that there isn't that issue of self-reliance. The problem is that even if you do it in the right way and you go to your father of confession, the devil might start to convince you that you need to do more than even your father of confession asks you to do. And this is what we call now going into another sort of sin, which is over-righteousness. You can actually be over-righteous. Can you believe that? You can be over-righteous. So the devil might tell you something like, um, a Buddha doesn't really know your spiritual depth. A Buddha doesn't really know that you, know, that you could do much more. A Buddha doesn't really uh, know that he's delaying your spiritual life. And the devil might start to fight you in that way. So what you might do then is that you might start to hide from your confession father some of the spiritual things that you do. Because your father of confession might say, no, you're fasting too long, or you're praying too much, or you're reading too much. He might actually curb you back because he doesn't want you to get to that over-righteous level. And once you do this, the devil actually will help you in your ascetic endeavor. He will make you feel good about what you're doing. Because now you can see that you're fasting for longer hours, you're reading your Bible uh, excessively to the extent that it might be taking other valuable time that is important in your life, you're praying so much more than before and so forth. Why would the devil do that? I think the devil does that in order to make your ascetic endeavor the goal in itself rather than the means to spiritual perfection. So rather than God being the aim, the actual spiritual endeavor itself becomes the aim. And you become master at fasting or praying or read, reading the Bible. And at the end of it all, you feel like, what's that doing with, between me and God? Is it really getting me close to God? Or is it just that I've become so proficient at it and it's become the goal itself? So be careful with that. Be careful then that you're um, not over-righteous. And if we have a look at what scripture says about that, you'll be amazed. For example, Solomon the wise in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says, do not be overly righteous, nor overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly righteous, do not be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? We're told this in Ecclesiastes 7.16. <clears throat> We are also told by St. Paul the Apostle in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12 and verse 13. And he says something amazing. He says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So I should not think of myself above 
what's the normal level. To think soberly means to think wisely, to think as if one is sober, not one who is drunk. So to think soberly of yourself. And the devil used this actually trick with St. Anthony the Great. And now we can see how the fathers dealt with this. St. Anthony the Great, when he finishes his prayers and then he starts to give himself a bit of some rest, the devil used to come to him and say, Anthony, wake up and pray. Is that a bad thing? The devil is asking Anthony to wake up and pray. But the wise saint would reply and say, I pray when I want to, I will never listen to you. You see, I will pray when I want to, I will never listen to you. So even if it's good advice but coming from Satan, then it's not good advice at all. I suppose what I'm saying is that one has to be moderate in everything that they do, even in their spiritual life. And that's why this moderate, moder, moder, moderation or modernization um, is called by the Fathers the Royal Way. The Royal Way meaning that it does not go to the right, which is over-righteous, or it does not go to the left, which is sinfulness. It's a, um, a middle road. And I used to love the saying of the late Pope Shenouda when he used to say, the middle road has saved many. You remember that saying? He used to always say that. So rather than being over-righteous or living in sin, no, I, I, do, I do things properly and I do things in a moderate way, and this is actually the best way. And that's why we find that the Desert Fathers, this whole central theme of why we're looking at their writings and so forth, they give us a beautiful example of how they actually were able to overcome these issues. Each one of them had a rule for prayer and fasting and readings assigned to them by their spiritual guide. So for us in our world, in our nowadays, I should always consult with my confession father about my spiritual endeavors and ask him to assign me a rule for my spiritual work. And I should not actually um, go away from that. And even if I have fulfilled all righteousness, I have to remind myself of what the Lord says in Scripture. Listen to what he says in Luke 17, uh, verse 10. He says, So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. So even if I fulfill all righteousness, I need to say to myself, I am an unprofitable servant. St. Macarius the Great sums it up for us in a nice way. He says, this is the mark of Christianity. However much a man toils and however many righteous righteousness he performs, to feel that he has done nothing. And in fasting to say, this is not fasting. And in praying to say, this is not praying. And in perseverance at prayer, he says, I have shown no perseverance. I am only just beginning to practice and to take pain in persevering. And he says, and even if he is righteous before God, he should say, I am not righteous, not I. I do not take pains, but only make a beginning every day. So even if I'm good at fasting, I say, this is, this is not fasting. What is that compared to the great saints who used to fast for two weeks at a time? What, how does that compare with the fast of, say, um, the great desert fathers, when they wanted to break their fast, they would boil a few lentils to eat, or take some grass of the field and eat that, or herbs of the field and eat that. So in other words, to put myself back into the proper level, that way Satan does not fight me. 
Also amongst the presumptuous sins is punishing ourselves or punishing yourself. You know this um, DIY, you know what DIY stands for? Do it yourself. It's very common, you know, you, you, you go to Ikea, you know, and they say, yes, you can buy this and DIY, you put it together and so forth. Well, this is sort of similar, but you put an S on the end. It's DIYS. Do it yourself spirituality. What does that mean? It means that sometimes I can punish myself for the sins that I commit. In other words, if I commit something wrong, I do more matanyas, I do more prayers, I do more fastings, so that way I can think that I'm dealing with the problem. But again, without the guidance of the Confession Father, there could be actually room for error, because you end up taking things into your own hands. Because soon enough, this will lead into another sin, which is absolving yourself. So, giving yourself excuses. For example, if I'm on a trip and the food, say, served on a plane is non-fasting, I can allow myself to break the fast by giving myself excuses. I fast a lot anyway. Um, I deserve a break from fasting. I'm on travel anyway. And then I start to actually absolve myself by taking the power of binding and loosening um, which belongs to the priesthood. It's only the priest who is allowed to bind and loose and to say, yes, this is allowed for you, this is not allowed for you. Because in, in guidance of the spiritual father, you don't become master of your own destiny. No, it's somebody else who's helping you become master of your destiny. It's not left up to you. So in other words, then you become your own spiritual director and you're actually um, your own spiritual advisor and you do not take advice from anyone else. Again, the Bible says something about this. What does it say? It says in Luke 11, verse 33, it says, No one, when he has lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand, and those who come in may see the light. And the fathers of the desert tell us that this verse means that I should never hide my spiritual work from my spiritual advisor. Even, even if it's... Um, I think that Abuna might not understand what I'm saying or it's beyond Abuna's comprehension or whatever. I must never keep anything secret from my confession, Father, because that actually um, gives room for Satan to work with. According to the Desert Fathers, they tell us it's very dangerous to hide uh, your ascetic or asceticism from your confession, Father. Another sin from presumptuous sins is the delusions of righteousness. What do I mean by that? Delusions of righteousness. Because if I continue in this way that we've been speaking about, the devil actually might convince you that what you are doing is the right thing. To the extent that, you know, he'll make you think that, yes, you are on the right track to eternal life. And what you are practicing is actually could be far from it. It could be actually making us lose our road to eternal life. And that's why Christ warns us, he says, Therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. What do you mean that the light is in you is not darkness? I can be seeing it as light, but it's actually darkness that might lead to perdition. Look at this warning that is given in the book of Revelation. It's a scary one. It's, it's the Lord rebuking one of the bishops of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And to this bishop, 
he says something incredible he says because you say I am rich have become wealthy and have need of nothing it's a beautiful state isn't it who who would you know not want to be in that state but then the warning comes and he says and do not know that you are wretched miserable poor blind and naked wow so the image that I've got of myself is that um, I am rich I have become wealthy and have need of nothing but the reality is far from it and the Saint Theophan the recluse says something very dangerous about this he says people who reach this stage are often in danger of being totally lost they're just too caught up in their unrighteous life to the extent that Theophan the recluse says that these people only discover their state after they have passed away it's almost like a wake up he says what I was doing all this for my own glory not for God's glory I was doing this for my own aspirations not for God and it's of those people that the Lord said the following. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. These were people that were doing this miraculous work. But yet God says, the Lord says, depart from me. I do not know you, you who practice lawlessness. Also from among the presumptuous is false revelations and visions and dreams. And this is a very important part. Because the devil tries to confirm the delusion that we might be in by sometimes making you know things before they happen. Yes, he has that ability. Or to know the thoughts of people. How does the devil do this? It's very easy how he does it. Because he knows certain things and he can use that in a very devious way. For example, he might trick you into thinking um, that, you know, a relative of yours is very sick. And then when you call home, for example, if you're overseas, you call Egypt and you ask about them, you find that they are very sick. And he starts to play with your mind to say, see, look, you've got a divine gift here. <laughs> you can tell things that most other people don't know about. And he builds up this deadly sin of pride and self-righteousness. John Climacus and John Climacus tells us that the devil can implant a thought in someone's mind and reveal it to another in order to give him the illusion that he can read people's minds. I wonder where all these psychics get their uh, knowledge from. Could be from the devil. The devil is revealing things to them in order to... Uh, um, for him to deceive people. It's a beautiful story in the Desert Fathers. It says some brothers came to find Abba Anthony to tell him about the visions that they were having and to find out from Abba Anthony whether these visions are true or they are actually um, something from Satan, from the demons. And they say that these brothers or these monks that went to travel to see St. Anthony, they had a donkey which died along the way as they were traveling to go to St. Anthony. And the story goes that when they reached the place where the old man was, he said to them before they could ask him anything at all, he said, how was it that the little donkey died on the way here? And they were surprised. They said, how did you know about that, father? 
And he told them, the demons showed me what happened. The demons showed St. Anthony what happened along the road and that their donkey died. So they said to the, um, to the old man, to Abba Anthony, they said, that was what we came to question you about. For fear we were being deceived, for we have visions which often turn out to be true. So St. Anthony said to them and convinced them by the example of the donkey that their visions actually came from Satan, from the demons. You know, some people can actually have visions of saints and angels. And one has to be very, very careful before accepting these because the devil can imitate these saints in order to ruin our spiritual life. And the history of the Desert Fathers is full with horror stories of people who accepted these visions without discerning whether they are from God or from the devil. Let me share some with you very quickly. One of these stories is about a monk whose name was Heron. And he's a monk that spent 50 years in ascetic worship and fasting. But he was brought to ruin by a false angel that appeared to him for a long time. To the extent that this monk who had been fighting for so long and working so hard that he stopped going to church. He refused the advice of other monks. And, you know, he used to even reject talking about this with his abbot or with the leader of the monastery. In the end, this false angel convinced him that he was going to be taken up alive to heaven like Elijah the prophet. And the poor man believed this. And he went in order to say goodbye to his fellow monks. And he tried, who tried, of course, in vain to convince him that this is of the devil and that he should not listen to this and, and that he should speak about this with his confession, father or the abbot, but he refused this. The angel took him up to a high mountain and convinced him to jump. And of course, he fell to his death, horrible death. And the abbot, the story goes that the abbot would not allow the Psalms to be chanted over this dead monk because he considered him as one who had committed suicide. He lost everything because of these false apparitions. In another story, another angel appeared to another monk for three years to the extent that they used to say that this monk's cell would light up from the apparition of this angel to the extent that he would not need to use candles to light up his cell. And after three years, this false angel gave him a vision of paradise. And what was his vision of paradise? He showed him all the Jews sitting in the bosom of Abraham while all the Christians were being tortured in Hades. What an absurd vision. And of course this monk left Christianity because he thought, no, I need to become a Jew in order to be in the bosom of Abraham. A false angel showed him a false vision of paradise that made this monk leave Christianity and become a Jew. But then there were other monks that were wise and very discerning. For example, one monk one time saw the angel Gabriel. Of course, false angel again. And this angel Gabriel appeared with a message from God. But this simple, humble, humble monk told him, you must have the wrong cell because I'm a sinful person. There's no way that apparitions would appear to me. There's no way that... Um, angels would come to me. You must be wanting the other monk who's in the next cell who's a saintly monk. And of course, as soon as this humility was shown to the uh, false angel, Gabriel, so-called Gabriel, disappeared in smoke. Another story is about another monk 
that the Lord himself, the false Lord, appeared to him and told him to worship him. And this monk in all simplicity said, I don't want to see the Lord on earth, I want to see him in heaven. Having said that, of course, that false Lord disappeared straight away into smoke before this monk. You might say these are stories that have happened to monks a long, long time ago. But you know what? The devil is still using the same techniques even today, with great success sometimes. Father Athanasius Iskander, in his book Practical Spirituality, tells us some incredible stories that he himself has been through with some people. He says, many years ago, I noticed that one of the servants had stopped coming to church and stopped having communion for a long time. So he decided to go and visit this servant and to see what the reason for this is. And you'll be surprised at the answer of the servant to Abuna. He simply told Abuna, Pope Corollas appears to me every Sunday and gives me Holy Communion. How strange is that? How scary is that? In another story that Father Athanasius Iskander relates, he says that uh, another servant from a different church that he serves in um, told him that there was something bothering him or something was you know, really weighing heavy on his conscience. And Abuna said to him, please go see your father of confession because Abuna Athanasius was not his father of confession. And he advised him to go and to confess this uh, issue before his father of confession. But obviously the servant did not do that because the next morning he called Abuna again, Abuna Athanasius, and he said to him, no, that's okay. Pope Carolus came to me in a dream, asked me to confess to him, and then gave me the absolution. This is what he saw as a vision. And this servant asked Abuna, he said, whether this was good enough or not. And Abuna said to him, now I still suggest very strongly that you go speak to your confession father, tell him about this dream, and he will guide you. You see? There are true apparitions, there's no doubt about it, but there are also false apparitions. It's almost like, yes, in this world there's real money, but there's also counterfeit money. It exists. There's counterfeit money. And that's what Satan uses to also take us away from our spiritual path. So the proper way to handle revelations and apparitions and, and dreams is, again, to consult my confession father about these things. And most of um, the miracles or the apparitions or the uh, visions that have happened in um, scripture, most of them are actually for unbelievers to bring them into the faith. That's why St. Paul, for example, when he speaks about the gift of tongues in the early church, he says, therefore tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Okay? So these miracles are actually sometimes are for the non-believers. Why do I, as a believer, need a miracle? I already know. I already believe. I do not need this. So we need to be careful even of spiritual um, visions and revelations and dreams. And a spiritual person will always deem himself or herself unworthy of these revelations. Dreams in particular that can come to us are actually the, under the control of the devil. You know, he takes all that's in your subconscious and he mixes it up and, you know, puts it together in a, in a funny way, in a weird way, to try to just grab a bit of information here, information here, and it could be tens of years apart in order to disturb you. And when we look at actually the dreams 
or the visions or these revelations in scripture we can almost count them you know on our fingers because we should not give way to dreams saint anthony once said he who believes in dreams is the toy of the demons he who believes in dreams is the toy of the demons another presumptuous sin is false gifts i can think that i've got gifts spiritual gifts like healing um, you know and you know if somebody asks me to pray for them and they become well you know i think i've got this gift of healing you know just through my prayer this person had became well but you know actually the devil can actually give somebody a headache and cause it to go away when you pray for them because he wants to deceive or cause a problem for someone and then later solves that problem when you pray for that person to deceive you and to deceive that person an example of this kind of trickery is given to us in the life of a saint by the name of Saint Bachom or Saint Bachomius, who is the father of community. It says there was, there was another monk training with him under Saint Palamon who used to taunt Saint Bachomius that he was not striving hard enough. Two monks training together under a senior uh, abbot or an abba, and this uh, monk was actually taunting um, Saint Bachomius that he's not striving hard, hard enough. And as proof for this, that monk used to walk on burning coals without being hurt. And Saint Bachom felt a bit discouraged that he was unable to do this. To the extent that this monk came and told Saint Bachomius, he says, today I'm going to jump into a furnace and will not be burnt. He wants to take these spiritual gifts to a higher level. And he jumped into the furnace and was consumed by the fire instantly. And Sam Bachom was so shaken up by this that he went out into the depth of the desert to pray and to say to God, this is too difficult for me. Why did all this happen? And God sent an angel to comfort Sam Bachomius and to tell him, because of your humility, this is what kept you safe. God will grant you discernment so that the devil cannot trick you in this way. And you will be able to help others who will become your disciples. Okay, And this shows us now the clear uh, differences between proper visions and false visions. So I wonder, for example, all these uh, so-called healers, where they get their gifts from? Could very well be from Satan in order to deceive people. And the Bible tells us that the devil can cause illnesses. How many times have we read in scripture that possessed persons who were healed by the Lord often had things like blindness and deafness and epilepsy, other ailments caused by the demons. And when the demon was removed, this person became whole again. In the book of Job, we were even told that Satan was the one that smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto the crown of his head. Satan that, that, that struck Job with these sore boils. And Satan can cause someone to be temporarily blind and to allow the healer to heal him. And he does this all because he wants the healer and the person healed and all those who are looking on to be deceived by these false miracles. So I need to be careful about false gifts. Or even about false consolation or false um, comfort that might come. Because sometimes the devil, in order to confirm to you 
the delusion that we might be in is to give you false warmth in your heart about a particular issue. You might even give things like false tears, you know, when you cry and you feel that you're, uh, you know, you've ascended to the heavens of heavens during your prayer. And he does this quite easily. He does this by telling his demons not to disturb you or to tempt you in order that you may be deceived that you are going in the right track and on the right way. And here, here is a true example of how he does that. Again, Father Athanasius tells us about this story. He says, a long time ago he met two people who were living together but not married. So they were living together in sin. But they used to tell Abuna, they used to say to him, Abuna, we pray the Agbeya together. We read the Bible together. We actually have tears when we stand up in the presence of God to pray. The devil was making it all seem okay, but yet they were actually living in sin. You know, there's an old saying that it can't be wrong if it feels right, or if it feels right, then do it. I think the devil himself must have written these words. Just because something feels right, it does not mean that it's good for me. So again, I have to be careful of false consolation or false tears and so forth. What about the calm or the peace before the storm? You've heard of that saying, the calm before the storm? Well, this is another trick that the devil can use in order to ambush us into going like this. And again, Father Athanasius relates a beautiful story that is very, um, very common. He talks about a young boy and a young girl who are seeing each other behind their parents' back. And they won't tell even their confession father about it. They'll only just have confession about, you know, whatever wrong that is happening in their own private life, but not about this friendship that is going on. And they say it's only a friendship. That's what the devil whispers in their ears. It says it's only a friendship. To the extent that they might spend hours upon hours together and they might have no desire to do wrong or to even touch each other or kiss each other or do anything that is wrong. It's because Satan has told his demons not to attack them. They might fall into the trap of false security because they might feel that, yes, we've met together for hours before, we've seen uh, each other so many times and there's no issue. We know we were in control. But then one day they might be in the same atmosphere together or, or in the same circumstances together and then Satan releases all his attacks upon them. And then feelings of lust will suddenly start to attack them to the extent that they are so totally unprepared and then they fall into sin. Well, what happened? It was the peace before the calm. It was the false security that, now we're in control. We're not going to let Satan trick us. But Satan sometimes withholds his fights till all the um, environment is working against me and then that's when he releases his, his attacks. So again, I need to be careful about this calmness before the storm. It's no wonder that sometimes um, the church fathers say that if you're not finding difficulties in your life, be careful because there might be, he might be at work in the background and you don't know when he's going to come up and attack. You know, they say, Rabbana <laughs> Yostur, you know, that you, know, you don't know what he's up to. But he also might use another uh, way in order to trick us. And that is the war of two opposites. And it's another trick that the devil uses um, to spiritually exhaust us and to make us his prey. He'll plant two opposed thoughts in your mind. They're both good thoughts. 
no problem at that, about that but they keep alternating in your mind and he keeps draining you between those two thoughts each one has its arguments each one can be supported by verses from the bible you know each one seems to be absolutely well you know and feel good down the track and you go on trying to find out which one is from god and which one is not and the truth is they're both not from god they're both from the devil he's trying to drain you by making you dwell on that and he does that by engaging your mind in fruitless pursuits in order to weaken you and to make you uh, an easy prey for attack again the easiest solution uh, to this dilemma is to talk to, to your confession father and sometimes your confession father will say do not accept either of those thoughts just let it be for a while just to give yourself a bit of a break from this mental exhaustion about thinking about these two opposites or the war of opposites but also sometimes um, you know he might fight us with the spiritual progress war what do I mean by that he makes you over anxious about your spiritual progress you know you know he might say to you you're not making any progress um, change your father of confession you can be guided by uh, other people uh, much better uh, who might be more wiser and so forth but we don't know is that um, God actually hides from us the fruit of our strife even till the last day of our death or last day of our life because the Lord does this out of his love for us if we see fruits we might immediately attribute these results to our own holiness or piety and not to his grace not to his providence in our lives and that's why we can lose all that we've gained from our strife and fall into pride and self-righteousness if he reveals the fruit to us whatever you do do privately and don't look for for results the results are there the results are with God and we can see this clearly from so many examples in scripture and uh, and so forth one example is that when the Lord brought out uh, the Israelites uh, into the promised land he told them something amazing in Deuteronomy 7:22. he says to them and the Lord your God will drive out these nations before you little by little you will be unable to destroy them at once lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you the fathers actually explained this to us by saying that these nations symbolize our sins so the Lord does not want to destroy our sins quickly lest the beasts of the field that is pride and self-righteousness increase in us and, de and devour us imagine if the Lord you have an issue with a particular sin and the Lord removes that quickly from you and again another sin quickly removes it from you and so forth after a while you say to yourself I'm pretty good at this <laughs> I, I've got it all together nothing's gonna nothing's gonna ever hurt me and then the thoughts of pride and self-righteousness start to kick in which could be worse uh, and more disastrous than the actual little sins that existed in my life that the Lord did not want to remove all of a sudden that's why the Lord also gave us a parable that we should not expect to see results of our strife this is what he says in the Gospel of St. Mark chapter 4 verse 27 and he said that is the Lord the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day and the seed should sprout and grow he himself does not know how 
you plant the seed do you know how it grows can you see how much it grows overnight of course not but you know that it, it is going to grow and it's almost like you're having this house plant at home and you know it's growing day by day but if you try to watch it grow you're not going to see it grow <laughs> can you actually see it grow of course not it doesn't happen and that is the same with our spiritual life we do not expect to see results because because god hides these results from us for our own good i love the beautiful verse when saint paul says who is paul and who is apollos one has um, sown one has watered but it's god who gives the increase i do what i need to do and i leave the results with god i don't see need to see physical results in order to know that this is actually going to bring good the last one of presumptuous sins is what we call secondary sins and these secondary sins the fathers tell us that every demon who comes to fight against us or against any uh, faithful person has two assistant demons so they come in a mob <laughs> they gang up every demon has two assistant demons one on his right and one on his left the one on his right hand is called the demon of pride and the one on his left is called the demon of despair okay pride and despair his helpers if the principal demon succeeds in tempting you into a sin the demon of despair takes over and he says what he starts to rebuke you harshly in order to make you despair about your salvation so the main demon has made you fall into a sin and if he succeeds the demon of despair comes in takes over and starts to rebuke you uh, very harshly to the extent that you might um, think that it's your conscience that is rebuking you or god rebuking you because of your repeated failure but you are mistaken it's not god because god according to the church fathers they tell us that if god rebukes he rebukes in a gentle and loving way that is never harsh. He desires that everybody comes to the truth. He desires that everybody is saved. He says, he who returns to me, I'll by, by no means cast down. So God will never rebuke you harshly. It's, a, it's only Satan that rebukes you harshly. Now, this is if you, f if you fall in the temptation. The assisting demon of despair takes over and continues to, uh, to, to make you despair from your salvation. But if you resist the temptation, the demon of pride, uh, the demon of pride starts to take over because he starts to put thoughts of self-righteousness in your mind by telling you, you have really become experienced in fighting this sin or something along those lines in order to make you lose the victory that you've just scored. And you think it's by your own efforts that you have succeeded, not by the grace of God. So you see the trickery here? Satan comes to fight you. If you win or lose, you're still going to be fought. <laughs> there's, no, there's no escape from fighting. But even more so that the demon of, of despair sometimes implants thoughts of blasphemy in our minds. Or even thoughts um, of utter despair and helplessness. How on earth are you going to confess this to your confession father? Your confession father thinks so highly of you. How are you going to go and say that I have committed this or committed that? And he rebukes you very harshly. He says, follows you, I'd keep it private. Don't embarrass yourself. <laughs> See? 
So he, he keeps uh, instilling this despair to the extent that he wants you to make sure that, that you are all alone and fighting this without any assistance whatsoever. A monk one time went to his Abba or to his senior and he was very distressed because of the thoughts of blasphemy that were attacking him consistently. And the Abba very wisely said to him, ignore these thoughts and say, say to Satan, these are your thoughts, not mine. May your blasphemy be upon your head. These are your thoughts, not my thoughts. So when I am fought with this despair, say to yourself, this is no more than Satan. Away with you, Satan. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Because he only wants you to despair in order to hinder your repentance and to hinder your road of perfection or spiritual perfection. The overall treatment of these presumptuous sins or these tricks is that I need to be aware of them. If I'm aware of them and I expose them and find them, then I've got a great chance of being able to beat them and to discern what is right from what is wrong. I need to go to my father in confession and to reveal these thoughts to him. And the fathers actually tell us that as soon as you reveal a thought to your father of confession or to your Abba, in the case of the Desert Fathers, they will disappear. To the extent that one Desert Father said something very nice. He said, that which is not spoken is not healed. Can I go to the GP and just sit there and say, I'm sick, so well, what's wrong? And I keep quiet and I expect him to find a remedy for my sickness? Of course not. I have to pinpoint what the issue is. It's the same in the spiritual realm. That which is not spoken is not healed. When it's spoken and it's revealed, then Satan will be able to know that, hey, no matter how many times you fight me with this, that I will reveal it and I will confess it and I will repent from it and I will fight it and I will resist it and the battle continues on. These are the presumptuous sins. So be careful with these presumptuous sins. I urge you to go back to the book. You'll find all this written in a book uh, in a beautiful, elaborate way. So now we have four more uh, sessions left for this series. And now we're actually going to start to be talking about the opposite of uh, sins or disciplining of the mind or of the will and so forth by looking at the pursuit of virtues the pursuit of virtues then we will have a look at three important virtues that we need to actually practice in our life meekness uh, chastity or purity and discernment how to, dis to decipher or to discern between things and I think these are so important. So next week, God willing, we'll talk about the pursuit of virtues as a general thing. And we'll look at those three virtues for the last three weeks. Glory be to our God now and forevermore. Amen. Happy to hear comments or to, uh, to, to discuss anything further. Or if you have a question, happy to do that for a minute or two.
you need to keep a few things in mind. The first thing is that, like I said in the beginning, the important thing is that we get there safely, not that we get there quickly. Okay. So in other words, the journey needs to be um, maybe slowly, so that way I can get there safely. That is, get to the eternity safely, or get to be Christ-like safely. I do that by um, practicing my uh, spirituality in a very humble and lowly way in the eyes of God. And to always put things back to the grace of God, not my own, um, you know, my own righteousness or my own, um, you know, capabilities and so forth. And I do all this under the clear guidance of my confession father. So I need to have a, a guide, um, a spiritual guide who will be able to discern with me and for me if I'm unable to discern um, myself about what road I'm taking and whether this road is good for me or not. You know this, the simple saying, two heads are better than one? Well, that's actually, it works in this case, definitely, and it applies. Rather than I just thinking about the issues myself and putting things into practice that I think are acceptable for my own self, I need the guidance of my confession father to be able to say to me, no, hold on. You don't need to do this. You don't need to go that fast. You don't need to do that to that extent because what I give you is going to be good enough for you to get there safely. So you, you just need to keep these things in mind. You know, um, It's not how quick you get there. It's how safe you get there. Um, don't do things of your own accord, but do them under the guidance of your confession father. Whatever it is that you do, always practice them in a humble way. So even if you've um, attained the highest spiritual level in a particular area, say, who am I? I am nothing. I'm an unprofitable servant. And you remember, um, I'm not sure if it was last week or the week before, whenever you are fought by um, thoughts of pride, or that you've actually achieved something great, do two things. First, and Pope Shenouda used to remind us of this, the late Pope Shenouda. You remember? I think I mentioned this to you last week. He says, remember your sins. That quickly humbles me down by remembering my sins. And he says, compare yourself with the saints. So imagine if, for example, you know, I feel like, um, um, you know, I, I'm a great worshiper, you know, look at my prayers, look at my tears in prayer, look at my uh, spiritual endeavors. If I compare myself, say, with St. Paul the Apostle, who did what he did for the Lord, what does that compare with what St. Paul did? Absolutely nothing. If I compare myself with um, St. Anthony the Great, or if I compare myself with somebody like St. Mary the Egyptian, who was uh, an example of what purity and what repentance is, even after she had led a sinful life. She came back with all this repentance and this purity. How do I compare with Moses the Black, who was a gang leader and a murderer, and then yet became father for thousands of monks because of his love for God? How do I compare with St. Augustine, who was so far away from the Lord, but when he came back, he left for us confessions that are of utmost beauty to show that how much he actually loves God. Again, if I compare myself with the saints, I quickly come back to a proper level. So these two things. Um, remember my faults, my weaknesses, my sins. Compare yourself with the saints if you are fought with pride. 
And if it's one thing that the devil cannot stand in front of, and that is the humility. Okay, remember the story of Saint Anthony when he was fought by the demons, and he used to say to them, um, "I am least than the smallest of you." They used to hear this humility and vanish from before him. understand what you're saying because I think sometimes we we um, we misunderstand what humility is all about humility is not a lack of self-confidence humility is not um, is not is not walking next to the wall with my head bowed down and, and not looking at anyone or talking to anyone I think sometimes we have the wrong imagery of humility and uh, from memory, I, I love the explanation that was given to us by Father Michael on time. That he says, humility comes from the word humus, which means earth, and that is for the person to understand that I am nothing except dust and ashes. Really, I am nothing except dust and ashes. God takes away His spirit that's in me, which is the life that He's given me. What am I? I'm a body that goes into the grave that is eaten by the worms. I'm dust and ashes. The great Abraham. The patriarch, the father of fathers, stood before the Lord. He says, I am nothing but dust and ashes. Great Abraham, who am I then to take pride? So be careful that you don't think of humility as, I don't have any capability, I don't, um, I don't have dignity in, in what I'm doing or what I'm achieving or what my road is or what my vision is of being with Christ. I think sometimes we look at humility in, in a wrong way careful of that. Humility is basically just for me to know that I am dust and ashes. Deep down. I'm a human so being. Humility is more like reflecting to yourself, not reflecting other people. Yeah, absolutely. And it, does, and it doesn't need to show to other people. It's who, are my, who am I in front of God? Not who am I in front of others? So what about uh, self-righteousness? Is it the same thing? Reflecting to yourself? It is, but is it reflecting to yourself when, when you get in it? Like there's, there's a thing that you can you get to the base from other people. You are more like to be self-righteous. Am I self-righteous or not? When when you're talking, when you're presenting, or when you are expressing your opinions. It's basically I need to get to a stage where I don't care about what others see in me. I care about what God sees in me. It is better to obey God rather than men. That's what scripture says. And you remember that beautiful story that I told you a couple of weeks ago when Saint Anthony the Great asked his disciple to go to the grave, to the graves. And he said, go and curse these dead people and say every bad word about them. And he did. And he came back. He says, now I want you to go and praise them. Say every good thing about them. And he did. And he said, what was the reaction when you said the bad things? He said, nothing. He said, what was the reaction when you said good things? He said, nothing. He said, you be likewise and you shall be saved. If people, pra if people praise you, 
inside yourself you say, I am, I am the chief of sinners. St. Paul can say that about himself, and much more so that I should say, I'm the worst of sinners if only people knew what my faults are. And if people um, falsely accuse you or, or revile you or say wrong things about you, say, thank you, Lord, for that blessing. Remember the verse that the Lord said, he says, woe to you when all men speak well of you. So be careful when people just speak well of you. You're going to be fought. Careful. So, so my humility and my self-righteousness is something internal that I'm working on between God and I. With the guidance of my confession father. That's a bit uh, uh, thorough. Has God been very patient towards humility? It's a package deal. Obviously it's a package deal. So... fair really is it because if I'm going to compare I should be comparing with both isn't that reality that I, should, I should make it a fair comparison and you know you, you mentioned this, this bit about you know I do this and I do that and I'm better than others remember the beautiful parable of the, um, the Pharisee and the tax collector who both went into the temple to pray the Pharisee came and stood up the front of the temple and he said I thank you Lord that I fast twice uh, two days a week that I tithe all my uh, all my uh, money and income and I'm not like this tax collector <laughs> and then the tax collector could not even bear to lift up his eyes to God but he just beat on his, his chest and he said forgive me for I am a sinner the Lord when he concluded that parable he said the tax collector went to his home justified more than the Pharisee it's not about doing things it's about what my heart is like behind those things. What good is it if I do all these things, my heart is not in it. There's no love. God's going to say, I don't want your fast. What's that going to do to me as a God? You know? you know, I want the heart. He says, my son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. That's what he wants. The precious, uh, the precious emotions and feelings on the inside, not the outside. God bless. See you next week, inshallah. <laughs>